Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Monday and welcome back. Thank you for joining me. It's good to be back. We've crisscrossed the country. Now we're back. We're refreshed. We're ready to go. We're ready to provide you great content. We got a lot of catching up to do. Uh, and, and we won't do a total replay on what we've missed uh, the past two weeks, but we will try to catch you up a little bit today. Shamika Michelle and Steve Kim are going to join me. Uh, I got a great fire starter if I remember how to do them. I think this will be uh, terrific. And then we'll get to Shamika Michelle and Steve Kim and kind of catch up on the news and all of that. But I don't want to go on and on and on and on. Without further ado, let's just get right into it. Let's start a fire and let's start fanning these flames. A biblical narrative arc fuels the widespread, snarky, fact-checking, and negative reviews of America's number one movie, Sound of Freedom, the two-hour dramatization of one man's crusade against child sex trafficking. It's important for defenders of the film to recognize who is being mocked. It's God, the Most High, Jesus. It's not you or QAnon or Tim Ballard or Jim Caviezel. You're not that important. You're no threat to Satan's seduction of the world or his plot to install a one world government and limit freedom. Neither is QAnon, the internet conspiracy thread that argues the global elites are connected through pedophilia and other sexual perversions. Neither are Ballard and Caviezel, the real life hero and the actor who played Ballard in the movie. Much of the criticism of the movie is camouflage, a clever ruse forcing defenders to debate it on safe, secular, and political terms. Is Caviezel a supporter of QAnon? Did the movie go too far exaggerating Ballard's experiences rescuing kids? Does it promote the white savior trope? Rolling Stone's headline claimed, Sound of Freedom is a superhero movie for dads with brain worms. In its review, writer Miles Klee concludes with the following two paragraphs. Quote, it will surely do no good to point out Sound of Freedom's hackneyed white savior narrative or its wildly immature assumption that abused and traumatized children go right back to normal once the bad guys are in handcuffs or that it enforces stereotypes about trafficking that Angel Studio itself says are less than accurate. To the film's intended viewers, these cannot be flaws. They're the whole appeal. There is visible suffering all around us in America. There are poor and unhoused and people brutalized or killed by police. There are mass shootings, lack of health care, climate disasters. And yet over and over, the far right turns to these Sordid fantasies about godless monsters hurting children. Now, as in the 1980s satanic panic, they won't even face the fact that most kids who suffer sexual abuse are, are harmed not by a shadowy cabal of strangers, but at the hands of a family member. To know thousands of adults will absorb Sound of Freedom, this vigilante fever dream, and come away thinking themselves to be better informed on a hidden civilizational crisis, well, it's profoundly depressing. Are the critics 
hypocritically deflecting attention away from the serious problem of, of child sexual exploitation, an issue at the root of our compromised politicians and controlled celebrity influencers? No question. The concealment of the Epstein client list makes that abundantly clear. The same people uprooting thousands of years of gender ideology to accommodate a tiny group of gender dysphoric, mentally ill people strive to minimize the impact of a $150 billion a year industry predicated on enslaving kids. Or how about this? The same people justifying rioting, looting, and massive protests because American law enforcement kills 450 black men a year, a dozen or so in questionable fashion, says the problem of child sex trafficking is exaggerated by conservative zealots. It's all nonsensical until you realize arguing nonsense is the point of the criticism. Sound of Freedom subversively argues something completely different. The movie promotes an understanding of how God wants man to behave in the earthly realm. That message is the real hazard to Satan. Sound of Freedom models biblical masculinity. It depicts man's ability to effectuate good when plugged into the proper power source, faith in, reverence for, and obedience to God. I don't know Tim Ballard. I've never met or interviewed him. It's my understanding he's a Mormon. We have religious differences. Based on the movie and what I've read about Ballard, we have a shared belief on how man behaves at his highest level. The highest form of humanity is sacrifice in accordance with the will of God. That's what Sound of Freedom depicts. The movie is about a man who jeopardizes his career, life, and family in service to God and his fellow man. In the movie, with the blessing of his wife, Ballard leaves his government job to rescue two siblings who were kidnapped in Honduras. Ballard had no connection to the kids. He hunted child predators for homeland security and eventually realized he'd rather hunt for the victims of child predators. The movie makers took the usual liberties with Ballard's true life story. They made a movie, not a documentary. In the movie, Ballard killed a man to save a little girl. In real life, Ballard never killed anyone, nor did he ever vow to rescue a brother and sister. He did quit his job, do dangerous work in foreign countries, and rescued more than 100 kids. His heroics were worthy of a movie. But it's now taboo to make movies or TV shows about men who heroically sacrifice, particularly heterosexual, evangelical white men. Those movies have been demonized as a reflection of toxic masculinity and white supremacy. Feminism and racial idolatry rule Hollywood. Viola Davis, playing the role of an Amazon warrior slaying colonizers in The Woman King, is sold as far more believable than Convicio portraying a white man in South America rescuing kids. The Woman King fictionalized an entire history, including the African tribe's role in slavery. The critics loved it. They loved The Woman King because it celebrates the matriarchy, belittles black men, and demonizes white men. The Woman King rejects the biblical narrative arc. 
It mocks God. It places women in the role of Jesus. Sound of Freedom places man in his proper role. Feminists, globalists, Marxists, and their simps do not want men, regardless of color, in their proper role. That's why disgraced minister Rick Warren wants women leading churches. He's a simp, more in love with popularity than being in alignment with God. He's a reflection of most modern white ministers. Black ministers love racial idolatry more than being in alignment with God. Race determines their stance on most issues. That's why Katanji Brown Jackson, Brittany Griner, Stacey Abrams, and Kamala Harris are revered within the black church. Biblical courage has been redefined as defending anything that or anyone who angers evangelicals, particularly white ones. There's no penalty for angering Christians. The world rewards people for infuriating believers. Biblical courage is defined by blood, not financial rewards, academy awards, and interview requests. Sound of Freedom sends a dangerous message. It reminds men and women of what courage actually looks like. Courage doesn't tuck its bat and balls, put on a swimsuit, and compete against women. Courage doesn't register homeless people to vote in the 21st century. It doesn't create a hashtag claiming Black Lives Matter and buy million dollar homes in the suburbs. It doesn't trade its freedom for the merchant of death. It doesn't leverage the tragic death of a career criminal for a better TV job. In service to God, courage risks its life for others. Men are supposed to be courageous. The enemy wants us to remain comfortable as cowards. That's my fire starter. That's the topic I want to explore today. We'll do it with Shamika Michelle. I've got a little more that I, I want to say here that I didn't want to cover in, in my mono and column. <clears throat> Movies like The Sound of Freedom used to be commonplace. All Virtually all movies at one point, or successful movies, followed that biblical narrative of a courageous man doing something in service for his family or others, risking his life. And we have now defined all of that as unrealistic or toxic masculinity. It's all an affront to God. It's all an affront to a biblical narrative art. The, the entire Bible is a story about God sending his only begotten son to sacrifice himself for the benefit of all of man and womankind, if, if that's such a thing, but all of mankind. And that was supposed to be a statement and a role model and an example for all of us of what the highest form of humanity looks like. It looks like a person who sacrifices for the benefit of others. And that is man's job. That is his role, to sacrifice for the benefit of others. And there's a lot of history of that. There's a lot of examples of that. 
We just don't make those type movies anymore. We just don't promote that mentality anymore because they want us all docile and cowardly and afraid to tap into that supernatural power source, the Holy Spirit and belief in God. Because when we tap into that, we do things like Tim Ballard did. And, and wives and families support men like Tim Ballard. And problems get fixed. And issues get resolved. And progress is made. And, and a God-fearing man is difficult to enslave. He's difficult to strip of his freedoms and God-given rights. But if you turn the entire culture feminine, if you send every message out into the culture that the woman is king and the matriarchy is what we need and masculinity is a negative, you create a society that will surrender its rights for safety. This whole movie, and people are falling into the trap and they're debating all this silliness that they want you to debate. Is the actor, Jim Caviezel, is, is, is he QAnon? Uh, is, is the movie too exaggerated? Is it, does it stick to the facts? Is it some kind of white Jesus savior trope? And we're falling all into that and we're missing the big picture. And we're missing the essential message of the movie. And, and, and we're missing it because, again, we, we've been denied it. But this was so I, when I was watching the movie, one of the movies I thought of, uh, one of my favorite Western movies. Pale Rider. I think Clint Eastwood played the, the lead character, and he was a character named Preacher. He was some gunslinger that was uh, converted to trying to be some sort of preacher, but he saves the whole town. He risks his life and takes on all the bad guys and saves the whole town, and his name was Preacher. And again, this is what movies all the time were about. Because we used to want to promote that message when we were trying to build up this society rather than tear it down. We were promoting that masculine, courageous instinct in man. We were promoting a biblical narrative when we wanted to build the country up. Now that we are in teardown mode, we don't send that message. We don't make movies like Sound of Freedom. We don't make movies that are respectful of the narrative art and just respectful of reality. What we do is flood the movie screens and television screens with the equalizer. And 51-year-old, 250-pound Queen Latifah jumping off balconies and beating up men. We, we take 50-year-old Viola Davis and we dress her up as an Amazon warrior 
in, in, in Africa, killing white men and freeing the slaves and uh, making a fool out of the king of the tribe. And we call that great cinema and it's a great historical representation. We ignore the, flat, the fact that the, the, the damn tribe that she was representing was actually capturing and selling slaves. We, 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 we've so distorted what courage actually looks like. There are people who actually believe Brittany Griner is courageous. That getting busted, smuggling a small amount of marijuana or hash into Russia and sitting in jail for nine months because of your irresponsible, stupid behavior. Oh, that was courageous. And now when we trade the merchant of death, a terrorist, a mass killer for a six foot eight dumb basketball player, Brittany Griner comes home a hero worthy of being worshiped and treated like the woman king. That woman, an idiot and irresponsible, but because of our racial idolatry and because we don't know what courage actually looks like, we don't even respect it anymore. She's being treated as if she did something courageous. She was irresponsible and set free a mass murderer. And the entire corporate media is genuflecting at her feet. I wish I had told them to get the clip of Bill Roden mumble my, a grown ass man. I apologize for cursing. A grown man groveling at her feet. Oh, Brittany, you know, I hate to ask you this, but I wish, you know, for Brittany, uh, what are you going to... For an idiot who caused us to release a mass murderer. We think she's courageous. We have no idea what courage looks like. They don't want you to know what courage looks like. They don't want men to know they have the responsibility of being courageous. This movie and the reaction to it. Everybody, they want to bog you down in this political discussion and discussion of QAnon and uh, Epstein Island and all that, and, and I get it. I, it's easy to take that bait. But they're just distracting because they don't want men to know what we should actually be doing and who our ultimate power source is. This movie, hats off to it, cleverly shows you that. I wish they had done more, but if they had done more, the movie probably wouldn't have gotten made at all. And it, it certainly never would have been distributed. I, I, what do they say? It's been 
ready to be distributed for like five years or something. I can't, two years, five years. I can't remember how long it's been sitting around before anybody would ever put it out. If they had been more overt, because, you know, my, my problem with the movie, and again, I, I don't have a problem, but my critique of the movie would be, I wish they had shown more of his wife and family. Because I'm sure there was some fasting and praying going on within his family as he's out doing very dangerous stuff, trying to rescue kids and, and uh, bring down predators. And he's walked away from his job at Homeland Security. And, and he's risking his life, risking his career, and his wife is on board with it. She's a hero too. And she played her proper role of support and staying committed to those five kids I believe they have and, and keeping the home strong while this man was out being a man. If they had just given that three to four minutes in the movie of showing what her life was back like back at home while he was out doing this stuff, that I wish they would have done that. But if they had shown that, if they had shown the courage that his wife showed and the discipline that his wife showed, they probably would have assassinated all these people for making this movie because they don't want women to see themselves in their proper heroic role. They want us all living in a fantasy world where Queen Latifah and her overweight old ass is jumping off, there I go, sorry, is jumping off balconies, beating up men every Sunday night on the Equalizer on CBS. They want you to think Brittany Griner or what's the dude's name? Uh, Leah Thomas. Oh, he's the hero. He tucked his bat and balls and went out and competed against women. He's a hero. Oh, Caitlyn Jenner tucked his bat and balls and he's the most courageous person in sports. He's woman of the year. All of this is an attack on God, first and foremost. And he, they don't want you to recognize what it is your role in this society actually is, if you're really interested in serving God. There are a lot of Christians of convenience who have no interest in legitimately serving God. They don't want to take any risks. They want to tweet their way to heaven and glory. They want to hashtag their way. They want to pretend that going on TV and blaming the white man for every atrocity is some kind of courageous act. Those are Christians of convenience. They're cowards. Many of them in the media are very manipulative. They're doing it to line their pockets and improve their standing at work and to get better jobs and bigger platforms on TV. They'll stand on the neck, back, head, shoulders 
legs, buttocks, thighs, feet, toenails, fingernails of George Floyd to get a promotion at work and then wag their finger of blame at anybody that points out George Floyd is a career criminal who died of a, died of a drug overdose that was helped or hurt by Derek Chauvin kneeling on his shoulders. It's all a gimmick. You're cowards. You're using George Floyd to line your own pocket and to chase clout. All of you. All of you. That's what they think is courage. Going on TV and pretending like they were hurt and care about George Floyd. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's a message there that goes over everyone's head. Blood. Anything you're not willing to die for, you don't really believe in. Anything that doesn't entail real risk isn't courageous. It's just an opportunity to chase fame and fortune. This, you know, part of this hiatus I, I've been on, I, I just, just looking back at his, how did we get here? How did we become such a cowardly society, such a, a men without balls, men completely disconnected from God. And I get it. This is all a result of the blood that was shed in the 1960s. JFK, MLK, and RFK. That's the price of real courage. And people decided they don't want to pay it. They'd rather lie to themselves. They'd rather hashtag their way to glory. Well, along comes the sound of freedom. And there's a big, there's a movie where the guy says in a, in a role, why, why is he doing this? Because God's children aren't for sale. Tim Ballard was a believer. He did Mormon, not my way to believe, but he was a believer. And he did some courageous things for man and kids. And they don't want you to see that. It's outlawed in movies. There's, just look at the movies that have had significant impact in the past two years. Top Gun Maverick, which, you know, I thought was an average movie. Uh, and it had no religious message, but it did follow the theme of a man doing something courageous in service of his fellow man. And again, I'm telling you, this is the way all movies used to be. When we were interested in building up America, when we were interested in inspiring men to do great things, this was commonplace. We've now moved into the teardown part of the American movie. 
And so movies like Sound of Freedom are controversial and they will be demonized and ripped by Rolling Stone, the New York Times, and all of corporate media. And they will bog you down in a debate about politics and race and all the other nonsense that they want to distract you from. This country will not survive, will not be made great again until or unless men are willing to reconnect to the ultimate power source. Faith in, reverence for, and obedience to God. Anything short of that, anything we're not willing to die for, won't work. We'll accomplish nothing. You can go be egalitarian with Rick Warren. You can go be a racial idolater with most black preachers. You can go do all that garbage, social justice activist BS. And they're going to continue to emasculate men and tear down this country. That's the rest of my fire starter, the fanning of the flames. Uh, now I want to tell you why I'm so masculine right now. <laughs> because I've been taking my Nugenics. Guys, are you ready to boost your testosterone and get your old self back? Our sponsor, Nugenics Total Tea, is offering a complimentary bottle when you text 231231 and enter the keyword fearless. Are you really ready to lose your shape, your muscle, your energy? As men age, we lose free testosterone, the man hormone. We lose that fire. It's harder to feel as alive and it is energetic, be as active. It's even harder to stay in shape. Now you can get that old fire back with Nugenics. Want more energy, more power to fight the negative physical effects of aging? Nugenics Total T Testosterone Booster with Testafin will help you turn back the clock and re-energize your life. It'll help you look and feel like the man you want to be. And now you can get a complimentary bottle when you text 231-231 and enter the keyword fearless. This is the unprecedented formula with science-backed key ingredients to safely maximize your free and total testosterone levels, help you increase muscle mass, and skyrocket your performance as you age. Nugenics is also the number one doctor-recommended testosterone boosting brand. If you're not totally satisfied, Nugenics will refund 100% of your purchase price, plus shipping and process. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text 231-231 and enter the keyword fearless. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo X, our newest and most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you lose fast and get lean fast absolutely free. That's 231-231, keyword fearless, 231-231, keyword fearless. Texting enrolls you in reoccurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. The number one doctor recommended brand by primary care physicians based on independent survey conducted by IQVIA 2022. All right, stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Shamika Michelle, she went to go see Sound of Freedom. She'll join us next. It's my obligation or hate discrimination raising up your hands for freedom. Welcome back. Uh, time for some Shamika Michelle. Shamoke Show. Welcome back to the show. Shamika, uh, your thoughts on Sound of Freedom. 
what, what was your reaction? How good of a movie did you think it was? And what was your reaction when seeing it? I thought it was a really good movie, Jason. I actually was confused because someone sent me the information uh, maybe when we first went on vacation. And so I saw the name, but I didn't look into it to actually see what it was about. But I saw a lot of the negative information that was coming out about it. I had no idea that it was inspired by a true story. So I like the way that you actually put in there about the woman king and how they claimed that was the real story of the Black Panther and how much that was celebrated in comparison to all of the negative feedback feedback that this was getting. When I realized this was based on a true story or this man really existed, I could not understand why anybody would have anything negative to say. Of course, you would say, oh, are they romanticizing it? And, you know, these kids don't just go back to regular lives. I get that part of it. But I was seeing so much negativity that I thought it was a totally like I had no idea what I was going to watch. Wow. That, that, and so. Was it not until the end where they actually showed you and updated you on the guy, that's when you realized it was a true story? That's when I realized it was a true story because initially I was sitting there and I was thinking, yeah, they're not going to just go back and have these, you know, regular lives. And then when I saw that this was a real person, I was like, wow. And just the information at the end that it's a $150 billion industry and how much America partakes in that, it then made it all the more disgusting to me that people are actually saying negative things about it. It's like, this is something that we really need to be paying attention to and really need to be fighting. We keep constantly seeing every day people saying, oh, black men are being hunted down and killed in the streets. Well, what about these children that are being trafficked and their lives are being ruined and how much America is partaking in slavery today? Instead of spending so much time trying to get black people to go back to uh, slavery, we need to be focusing on those that are being trafficked and human slaves that are happening right now. It was just very disgusting to me how the left, it has come at this movie because it was, it was wow. It was an eye opener. I hear people talk about human trafficking all the time and I've gone down the Pizzagate rabbit hole and it just really was an eye-opener for me. All right, you mentioned Pizzagate. Were you, when you were watching the movie, were you thinking about Pizzagate and, and QAnon? I wasn't. Not while I was watching the movie, but after seeing the things at the end, it did make me say to myself, hmm, so maybe Pizzagate has more validity than a lot of people gave it credit for. You know, it just really made me just start thinking about all of that and how QAnon is even demonized to start with. Like these are people saying, hey, protect our kids. Why would we even make them out to be crazy as if kids are not being harmed? Whether you think it's on a really large, massive scale or small, 
kids are being abused. Why not jump on the bandwagon and want to help protect them? Yeah, that would be my question to to the people, even the, the Rolling Stone writer that mentioned black men are being killed by police and brutalized. And I'm like, okay, so let's say I, I go there with you and say, yeah, 400 black guys a year get killed by police. How many? And so if that's a national crisis worthy of all the attention we've given it and Black Lives Matter, how many kids, American kids, have to be sex trafficked for that to be a national crisis worth paying attention to? 300, 3,000, 30,000? How many does it take if, if 400, and again, only a dozen or so of these a year draw any sort of controversy, how many does it take for kids to be harmed before we can say, hey, man, this deserves some attention. I, I just I don't think it's that many. And 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 let's say that, uh, you know, he put in there something about, you know, most kids that are sexually abused are done so by a family member. And I'm, OK, well, that's a crisis worthy of attention, particularly when we live in an era where they're trying to normalize pedophilia and call these people minor attracted people and build sympathy around them. This whole issue of sexualizing kids is worthy of attention. And, and if it's just one kid, it's worthy of attention. But we know there are thousands right here in America and, and, and we certainly know, based on the Epstein list and what little they've exposed us about what Jeffrey Epstein was doing, we know it's an issue that involves powerful people here in America. Correct. And I get sick of seeing that argument. Well, was Trump a part of it? Was he not? Oh, was it Clinton? Was he not? We know that there's a client list. Everybody should be able to come together regardless of how the chips fall and, and want the list out want the people prosecuted, want them something done. And so all we talk about when it comes to Jeffrey Epstein is maybe who was on the list or, you know, why haven't we made, demanded they come out and tell us who was who was there? Who were these people involved? And so because they have not done that, you have to know that there is some type of elite group that's keeping this secret. And that allows them to continue to do the same thing day after day, week after week with these children because they're protected for some reason and none of us know why. Uh, Shamika, one of the things we miss while on hiatus, and this is somewhat recent, at the Essence Festival, uh, Jill Scott uh, did a remix of the Star Spangled Banner that seemed to be warmly received at the Essence Festival. I want to play it and then get your reaction to it. Oh, say, can you see?
this place doesn't smile on you, colored child, whose blood built this But you'll die in this place And your memory raised Oh, say, does this truth hold This is not the land of the Your thoughts? That was ugly, Jason. The lyrics, the way she looked, all of it was just ugly. She went from living her life like it's golden to sounding like a, a, a walkaway slave, a walk to the end of the corner, but not much further than that slave. It just shows how black women can really become bitter and angry when their personal relationships don't work. 20 years ago, she was talking about taking her freedom, putting it in her car, whatever she choose to do, it will take her far to singing this foolishness. Now, I, I don't know where she stands in right now, but I do know she had a son with the man and it just didn't work out. Now, all of a sudden, you have gone from this bubbly, beautiful, because even though she's always been overweight, she's always had a really pretty face to looking like a drag queen like and singing horrible lyrics. Her net worth is $12 million, they say, but yet this is what you're pushing opposed to saying, hey, in this country, you can do some things. If you put your mind to it, if you're hardworking, if you're determined, now all of a sudden it's by the blood in the streets and her sounding like a broke Mahalia Jackson. This is just, I mean, it was everything was ugly about it to me, Jason. I was looking at it, I was reminded, I think you had made the point on a previous show that a lot of women are getting their makeup done to look like drag queens. And this was a prime example of it. I was, she looked hideous. Mm -hmm. the, the eyelashes, the whole thing, she looked hideous. And like someone was like, someone was trying to make her look like a drag queen. 
Yeah, it's, you know, women have bought into the idea that they need to get their makeup tips from men. The men who have to hide a five o'clock shadow, the men who's tr who are trying to soften their jawline. I don't understand why women are doing this. You used to be able to tell when it came to a, a drag queen or a man that was dressing like a woman and trying to pass because the natural women, you could tell natural women didn't have to do all of that. Natural women weren't in wigs every single day. Natural women weren't wearing after five makeup or, you know, these fashion show type makeup faces at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Natural women weren't running out getting ass shots and, and fake boobs. Now they're doing the exact same thing that men can do. And that's why you can't tell the difference. When you feel like men that don't like getting tricked by these transgender, blame the women who have made it so easy by buying into all of this foolishness. They talk like drag queens. They look like drag queens. Listen to a black woman talk now the way she, yes, girl. Okay, yes, be even picked up their lingo. And it's so sickening because I'm thinking, black women, you're beautiful. Why why are you doing all of this? And Jill Scott is a prime example of my God. I don't know who did her makeup, but they needed to be fired like two weeks ago. Uh one other interesting thing that caught my eye while we were away. Uh, Ebony Williams, former lawyer, cup of coffee on Fox News, maybe has been on CNBC. I think now she works for Revolt TV. Uh, she's been pretty outspoken. Sometimes she fashions herself a conservative. She now has, to me, has gone full-blown woke feminist. And she had an interesting commentary about black men. Uh, you know, I th Ebony's pushing 40 now or kissing 40 in the mouth and seems quite upset with her prospects. Uh, I want your reaction to this commentary she had about single mothers. Black women are availing ourselves to all of the options that our hard work and circumstances currently afford us. And that means that single motherhood by choice is going to be an option that more and more black women consider and even exercise. So anybody that's in their feelings about that can go ahead and start to process right now. Because black women that have the privilege to embark upon this expensive and oftentimes lengthy process will increasingly decide to forego marriages and partnerships that do not serve us and that are not in our best interests. And now that bypassing those insufficient relationships does not have to come at the expense of motherhood, well, frankly, it's a whole new world. A world in which black women are no longer subject to the desperation of being chose, because now we get to do the choosing. And as we choose, we do have to contend with the reality of a dismally small supply of black sperm. Because most black women on this journey, we want to create children that look like us and that look like our families. And that means we want black sperm. And as we heard from Reese Brooks, it's the definition of slim pickings 
And sometimes that means compromising on this aspect of your journey. Dismally short supply of black sperm. That, that's her way of saying black men are trash and, you know, there are no good black men to have a baby with. Uh, that's what she really meant there. But anyway, your reaction to Ebony's soliloquy. You know, her, I've seen a couple of articles that talk about the fact that when it comes to women going to sperm bank, it's very hard to find black sperm. Well, maybe it's because these black men that you claim have no morals and no values, these black men that you claim are up to no good and ain't shit, they don't need to go in and donate their sperm to be able to purchase spinning rims or Big Macs. They have some type of understanding of the value that they don't have to, to demean themselves to this. And when it comes to Ebony Williams, listen, what you have here, Jason, is a woman who worked for a very prominent attorney here in my city who gained the reputation of being skinny, unappealing, disagreeable, and having chronic halitosis. Now, that's not my counter argument, but that would be what I'm using to say this is why she's so bitter. Not only did black men not choose her, the white man that she went and got with dumped her as well. So now she is this just this angry, bitter black woman who wants to push that on other black women. Anybody that has raised children know that it is easier to do with a spouse, with a partner, with someone who can take part of that responsibility. It is extremely hard to be this boss bitch going out working 40 to 50 hours a week and then being able to also pour into your children. No other group of women are pushing this except for black women. You don't see white women saying, hey, just do it by yourselves unless they're talking to us. You don't see Indian women, Asian women. It is only us that live in some type of delusional fantasy world that, oh, we don't need a man. We can do this all by ourselves. But all we have to do is look back on the last 20 or 30 years and look at what single motherhood has done to black kids and the black community. Why would anybody in their right mind be pushing this? It will only be someone who is bitter and angry. And when she talks about relationships that don't serve us, do you want a man or do you want a slave? What is it that you're looking for? Because it will serve you to be provided for. It would serve you to be protected. It would serve you to have a partner that goes at life together with you. What are you talking about? These relationships that are unfulfilling. Just because you keep running into the bad men don't mean every like all men are bad. And this is what I want women to understand. If you're always looking for men that are, uh, you know, negative, that's all you're going to get. If that's all you think is out there, that's all you're going to see. And that's all you're going to attract. Change what you think about men and you will attract better. If you keep coming into the same type of relationship, the common denominator is you. 
Thank you, Shamika. Great job as always. Good to see you. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow because tomorrow, tomorrow, I, I rarely do this preview tomorrow's show, but I'm very excited about tomorrow's show. And it, it, it'll be on this male-female dynamic and topic. Uh, are you guys aware of who Pearly Things is, Pearl Davis? She's been causing quite a stir on YouTube and on Twitter. Really provocative comments about the male-female dynamic around the world, but particularly here in America. She's going to be our guest tomorrow. I can't wait to talk with her. And, and then we're going to do a Twitter Spaces conversation about her afterwards. So uh, Shamika will be back tomorrow helping me uh, react to my interview with Pearl. And then we'll have a Twitter Spaces discussion about Pearl as well. If, if you have time, look her up. Pearly things. I think she spells things with a Z at the end, perhaps, but uh, really dynamic young woman is making a lot of noise on the internet. Which she, she's kind of like a female version of Andrew Tate and Kevin Samuels. Can't wait to have her on tomorrow's show. Uh, one of the things I was looking forward to when we were on hiatus as I moved about the country, one of the things I was looking forward to was coming home to my bed and particularly my cozy earth sheets. Summer used to mean I was kicking off these sheets every night to try and stay cool, but that all changed when I discovered cozy earth bedding. I now sleep comfortably, even on hot, sticky nights, and you can too. Simply swap out your current sheets for soft, breathable, temperature-regulating sheets from Cozy Earth, the brand with thousands of five-star reviews, including mine. If you don't agree, that you're sleeping cooler, more comfortably this summer, they'll refund your purchase price plus shipping, no questions asked. And you get 100 nights to try them out. That's right, 100 nights. How can Cozy Earth make such a guarantee? Because their bedding is made from viscose, from bamboo. So it traps less heat, enabling people to sleep cooler, more comfortably year round for a limited time only. Save 40% on Cozy Earth Bamboo sheets. Go to CozyEarth.com slash fearless and enter my promo code fearless at checkout. Save 40% right now. Try them for 100 nights. If you don't sleep cooler, send them back for a full refund. That's CozyEarth.com slash fearless. I have these sheets in my own home. Told you guys, I got two separate bedrooms I sleep in. One has Cozy Earth sheets, one doesn't. Guess which one I prefer? The ones with cozier. All right, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Now, what you've all been waiting for, the Korean Cosell. I know you missed him for the past two weeks more than you missed me. Korean Cosell, Steve Kim. Next. All right, welcome back. Time for some Korean Cosell. I know you've been waiting for this. I got to actually admit, I actually missed Korean Cosell while I was away for two weeks. Missed his funny takes and zingers. Thought of him, and I, I don't know why I didn't call him, uh, but I didn't want to bother him, and I didn't want to 
I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't miss him that much. Uh, but when the affirmative action decision went down, uh, Steve Kim's main woman, Jamel Hill, had a tweet basically saying that uh, Asians owed a debt of gratitude to uh, black people, and so they shouldn't have been you know, fighting against affirmative action. And so I said, hold on. I know an Asian person that I can talk with this about, and it's Steve Kim. Uh, Steve, as an Asian person, do you feel like you owe uh, black people a debt of gratitude for fighting for your freedom so relentlessly? I think, you know, we I think she said we diligently mm. uh, fought for Asian American rights, and how dare Asian people betray us by fighting for the rights of their own kids at the Supreme Court. I mean, how dare you do that, Steve? Uh, your thoughts? Well, first of all, it's great to be back on my show. And, and could you repeat that first part again? <laughs> all right, you know what, anyway, do that later, do that. I, I missed my audience, I missed my, you know, the thing about, you know, I found my shrill on old Jamel Blueberry Hill. I, it, it didn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, look, the civil rights movement, I, you know, I think there's very conflicting emotions about the way that's actually turned out, but, I seriously doubt that those that were marching on the front lines who actually did accomplish anything or something, and it's not Jamel Hill. She does a lot of hashtagging and tweeting. That does not count as activism. I don't think they're actually saying, you know what, we got to go out there and protect these crouching tigers coming from the far east. You know, when, when they were fighting for rights, I don't think they were fighting for the Chinese people building the railroads. OK, you know, we're going to be more thankful when we get we stop getting pushed in the train tracks on the New York subways. OK, Jamel, we'll give you that. <laughs> but, but there comes a point in time like I, I knew as soon as this happened, I knew the people that were going to speak out about this. And old Jamel was the first one. And I, I will say this. You didn't grow up in the L.A. area. So there's an old joke that everyone knew in our part of town. You know what UCLA really stood for, Jason? No. The school. What did it? What did the acronym really stand for? I don't know. You got to tell me. University of Caucasians lost among Asians. Put up, pa. So now we're back to that. <laughs> we we are now back to that. Uh, UCLA's average SAT score is now going to shoot up 250 points, but the campus is going to get a lot more boring. The house parties are not going to be as fun. Um, but Jamel Hill has to understand one thing: people look out for themselves, and, and the greatness of the American dream and why it is so great, but flawed and also risky, is that there's individual accountability, is that someone else's success as an Asian is not gonna really reflect upon me. It, it might delve into the stereotype, it might feed into it, but as an Asian that graduated from the Harvard of East LA, dear old Montebello High, with just a 3.3 grade point average, which was an absolute shame and an abomination to the Kim family name, I will admit it. All those other smart kids that went to the UCLA and the UC schools and Harvard, that's not my accomplishment. I think there's this collectivism that exists with people like Jamel Hill that is very, very dangerous as she speaks from the ivory tower. She has made it. And by the way, she went to a PWI. She's one of these people that's always talking about the HBCU should be supported. Meanwhile, her bio says, I believe she went to Michigan State. Huh. The irony of that. And one other thing here. Umar Johnson. Old Umar. I, by the way, one of these decades, he will get that school open. Never mind what King Randall has done, right? Uh, 
He actually said on a show that I don't want to see. And he repeated it like three times. That's the thing. I don't want to see any Asian at an HBCU. Uh, Umar, there is no crouching tiger that ever said to their parents, Mom, Dad, I think I want to go to Grambling. Okay, that, so that's not going to be an issue. The only HBCU we wanted to go to was uh, Hillman because we all watched A Different World, but that's about it. I, the reactions were just really, really predictable, Jason. The predictable and comic almost and just yes. totally divorced from reality. That, that, you know, yes, Jamel went to Michigan State on a scholarship. I'm sure it was connected to affirmative action. That's why she's uh, very <laughs> beholden. And I'm, I'm saying that seriously. I, I'm sure it is. Every job she got, internships, jobs, promotions, it was all connected to affirmative action. If you go, and I'm not trying to beat her up, but when you're a journalist, allegedly, for let's say 15 years before she became a talk show host or whatever, but when you're a journalist, allegedly, and no one can recall anything you've written other than a tweet about Trump, yep. were you really a journalist? And she wasn't. And, and I'm quite familiar with her work and how limited she was as a journalist, but she kept getting promoted because, oh, this is a woman, She's a, she'll write some opinions. And so she wasn't held to the same standards as myself or others. She got a free pass all the way up the ladder. And it's like uh, your boy Thomas Sowell says that when you receive special treatment for so long, equal treatment starts to feel like oppression. And, and that's what we're dealing with. And, and you know, the other I, I watched a lot of uh, different documentaries and things when I was on our hiatus and I watched some good stuff from Thomas Sowell. He makes a pretty compelling argument that the whole impact of the civil rights movement was is yeah. really overblown mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that what actually happened is that from the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, black people were actually doing exactly what Asian Americans were doing and they were advancing and moving up. And that the actual benefits that we attribute uh, to the civil rights movement were actually benefits we were accruing just as we just put our heads down and did the work and became American citizens. And then in the 1960s, they redirected us and, and made uh, you know, set-asides and welfare and all the reparations and all these other things, that was the goal. And, and that's when we redirected from just putting our heads down, marriage, family, blah, blah, blah. And it's been all hell ever since. Jason, let me just use one metric. If you look at the rate of nuclear families and children out of wedlock coming into the 60s, black Americans were trending just as well as any other racial or ethnic community in America. I will make the argument, and people are gonna be angry at me, it doesn't matter, but I believe this to be true. Lyndon B. Johnson did more damage to the black community than David Duke ever has. If you look at the policies that were put in place and what has happened to that particular segment of America. Let's go back to Jamel Hill. I've said this before, and it's a Steve Kim mantra. The standards you place on somebody is what you think of them. And based on what Jamel Hill has been screeching about the last 10 days, she thinks less of black American than most other people. 
The bottom line is her and her like are basically saying we need to have lower standards. We don't want SATs. We don't want standardized testing. We have to have a special lower set of standards to get into schools. The other issue is Thomas Sowell said for years he believed one of the things that was an issue with the affirmative action and raising or lowering academic standards for certain students based on their skin color, religion, race, or creed is that a lot of the students that belonged at certain schools were then elevated to academic institutions where they could not handle the workload or the type of caliber of education that they were getting. And I don't think that's really a knock. Certain people belong at certain schools. Like for me, quite frankly, I did not belong at a UCLA. I belonged at a Cal State LA. I lived with it. I didn't finish my degree there. It got too expensive. The bright side is I didn't have student loans that I could screech about, right? So anyway, but, but the bottom line is Thomas Sowell has believed for years, and there's a lot of studies that say, go to the school that you actually belong in, graduate from there, and then you will find your place in life. But to artificially shuttle these students into institutions or atmospheres that they do not belong in and or not comfortable with has actually had a damaging impact. It's actually had the reverse impact of what was actually intended. Let me, I want to buttress your point with a point that Thomas Sowell actually made because he was a professor at an Ivy League school, I think at Harvard, where he had graduated. And, and he talked about, uh, like, when you're dealing with kids that were in the top 1% tile versus kids who are really smart but are in the top 75 percentile, he's like, I'm assigning work, reading material, at a level that only the top 1% can keep up with the pace yeah. of the demands that I'm asking them to read at. And, and, and he goes, now you've let some kid in who's not at that level and he can't keep pace with that amount of reading. And, and so he's overworked. And so he said, no, this was, I think he said he was at Cornell. And he said that half the kids, half the black kids were on academic probation just because they, they were smart, but they just couldn't keep up with that pace. He's like, if they had went to a school that fit them, they'd have been perfectly fine. And so it, it, it's, it's like me, I'm so glad I went to Ball State where I could when I applied myself, and that was rarely, I could compete <laughs> and could keep up with everybody else at the school. And I've done just fine. And I laugh at the idiots that you know, because I know a lot of Ivy League idiots that, that aren't wow. nearly as don't have nearly as much common sense or smarts as I do. It's it's man, the, the affirmative action thing. I'm so glad with the decision they made. Uh, I, I think it's promoted a necessary discussion. And if anybody's listening objectively, it's it's providing evidence of the stupidity of the other side of the argument. I, I haven't heard anything logical from the other side. Yeah, uh, by the way, Ball State, the MIT of the Mac, is what I've been told. But anyway, here's the <laughs> issue. For, for, and this is where, again, there is like this inferiority complex that I don't think people like Jamel Hill even realize that they have. My view is this, if you really cared about HBCUs, and not just when Deion Sanders goes to Colorado as a football coach, which really, in the big scheme of things, is not that important. It really isn't. It's just a diversion. It's frivolity. I admit it. I enjoy it. 
But I know what it is. It's just entertainment. It's just sports. But with that said, if you cared about HBCUs, the framing of this argument or the situation would be great. Now we get even more of the best black students at our institutions. We get to raise our level. We don't care what happens at UCLA, SC, Stanford, whatever. We get our best students, right? The other question I have for you, though, Jason, is the thing is, I am realistic about it. If I had a true college experience while I was living on campus, I don't know if I would just want to go to any school that was just one denomination of people. There is something to be said about diversity, though. Is there not in having a true experience where you get to actually see different people of the world and the nation? I think there is, but look, man, the diversity we need is diversity of thought. And I'll just tell you what I want to go to school with and what I had the privilege of going to school with were people who mostly shared my values. Mm. And, and when I look at the Ball State students, regardless of color, we all pretty much had the same shared values. I, I think we've so diverged on values with the generation after me that that's what I wouldn't want to be bothered with, are, are people whose values are diametrically opposed to mine, that, you know, so diversity of thought is important. Diversity of skin color, I just don't know if it's all that important. And it's, it's just, it's not. It's, it's, Mm. and again, when I say, again, I don't mind people disagreeing with me. Uh, You know, I actually invite that. But people that, whose values, who, who don't have respect for law enforcement or, you know, polite behavior, uh, people that, you know, just curse nonstop or, uh, you know, think that men and women are the same. I, I don't know if I really want to go to school with them. I, yeah, and by <laughs> I don't the way, know if Jason, I want to socialize with them. Jason, a lot of them have Ivy League degrees. I believe Thomas Sowell once said, uh, the path to hell is paved with Ivy League degrees. By the way, one last thing I don't know if you want to talk about, but old Clarence Thomas, poor guy. I, you would have thought that he had the one deciding vote. Like, okay, okay, CT, it's up to you. Your vote decides this. He's getting all the heat. And wasn't the vote like 6-3? I mean, I mean, poor guy. He literally is the only guy being, I couldn't name you another judge that voted his side, but it's almost like, okay, Clarence, you're the vote. You're the only one that counts. Whatever lever you pull, that's what we're going. I mean, poor guy, poor Clarence, geez. Well, they are making the assumption that Clarence benefited from affirmative action, and so therefore he should defend it. And and I'm sure some people I'm sure uh, would make the same argument about me. And, and they would point to, and again, I would reject that, but they would use as an example, again, I've told a story about the woman that hired me at the Charlotte Observer after a two-week tryout telling me that, you know, I was being hired as an affirmative action hire, and I rejected it on the spot. I was like, what do you mean? I just did a two-week trial and proved to you. What do you mean? You, like, you doing me some favor, blah, blah, blah. And it really fired me up and determined, I, I mean, I... 
I put on a Michael Jordan-like display for 14 months there to clown suit everybody there that thought they were doing me a favor. But, you know, people would say, hey, you wouldn't have got that job at the Charlotte Observer without affirmative action. And, and I would say, well, go check my receipts of the work that I did and tell me if any of them white people that got hired at the same time or after me or before me did better than me. I'd say they didn't. Yeah. And it, by a mile, by, by, by a mile. So uh, I want to move on. Uh, Skip Bayless, I want your thoughts on this. Undisputed is returning on August the 28th. Mm. This show is going to be off the air for nearly three months because Shannon Sharp has left. That seems odd to me. I mean, could, I couldn't imagine being paid eight, nine million dollars a year to be on TV like Skip Bayless is and incapable of doing a passable show while working on finding a replacement, that, that I'm that dependent. <laughs> Again, this is like, oh, uh, Scottie Pippen's out injured and Michael Jordan saying, <laughs> I'm not playing again until we replace Scottie Pippen. Like, hold on, you're Michael Jordan. Allegedly, Skip Bayless is the biggest thing in debate, talk TV. He can't do a show until August the 28th. Your thoughts? Well, by the way, 1998, when that happened, I believe Michael Jordan played every single game. <laughs> How much the thing, but hey, hey, like the NBA, they're just doing load management, Jason. Come on. But here's the truth. Shannon will be missed. And this is the last shot for Skip to get this right. Because if this next partner fails, it's over. They're going to pull the plug, call Dr. Kevorkian. And by the way, Jason, if you were an all-sports show, which had to do sports every day, would you really want to do baseball talk for the next two months? I don't blame them. If there's ever a time to take time off, it's during the dog days of summer, led right into football. I wouldn't take a whole two months off because training camp to me is when football season truly begins, when the pads start popping. But there is a realization. Shannon is difficult to replace no matter what we think of him. And number two, that man, Skip Bayless, has to get this right. Because this truly is the last chance. Because if this doesn't work, it's over, Jay. Steve, the guy's seventy some odd years old. You he's have to like, 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 oh, he's twenty eight, and if this doesn't work, his career's over. He's seventy. This is his last shot, regardless. No, I agree, but he wants to go out on a bang. And and Skip Bayless reminds me a little bit of Jerry Rice, not in terms of his greatness or his stature, but Jerry Rice didn't want to retire. He loved the game. There is a saying within uh, business with CEOs, the ones that just love work. Retirement kills more people than work. He's the type of guy you have to pry the microphone out of his hand as he's praising Tom Brady. Because um, the minute you pull the plug on him, he's just going to say, what's the purpose in life? It's like Bear Bryant or Joe Paterno. When they did not have a practice or a game or a season to look out for, they said, you know what? I'm out. I had a good run. See you on the other side. Peter, Paul, and Mary at the gates, I'm good. That's what I believe Skip Bayless is. He's a lifer. To his credit, I actually do respect that. Uh, I, two and a half months off is too long. I don't uh, disagree. When they're paying you to be the star of the show. Uh, you know, that, that says something. Uh, Bomani Jones, HBO, 
is not yeah. renewing game theory. I'm shocked. Uh, but one thing we know about Bomani, man, is this guy, no one fails up like Bomani Jones. And so I'm sure he'll be named the president of some TV network or he'll be, you know, picked to replace Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel. Or I, I, I can't wait to see where he fails up to next. Your thoughts on HBO walking away from Game Theory and Bomani Jones? You mean game theory or game over? So basically, there, there's several truths in life. Death, taxes, and Bomani Jones getting low ratings, getting canceled, but then getting another opportunity. You're right. Ed, I, look, there's an irony that right around the same time that affirmative action was axed, so was this show. I think it's very poetic or apropos, as they say, oh, my fancy SAT word there. But I just, I have, you know, I, I feel very, very happy and relieved now for Bob Costas. He no longer has to pander and pretend that he cares about what this guy has to say. I actually saw one of the segments that they were on together. I said, you know, just by the way, curious. they canceled, they canceled Bob Costas' show too, but go ahead. Well, okay, what's the quota system? One white, one black. You know how it is. But, but yeah, that show was boring too, though. Give me a break. And so I saw one segment where, where Costas had to really pretend like, wow, I'm just fascinated by this. And I'm bored to death. And look, the one thing about HBO Sports, and, I, and I've covered them closely given the fact that they were in boxing for years. I knew a lot of the upper management people when they were still in the sport. They're not good at the talk show thing when it comes to sports. They're really not. They try to be too highbrow, try to be too fancy. They're great at the documentaries. Their live production of boxing is top-notch or was top-notch. But I, I still go back. Remember the Joe Buck show? That thing made C-SPAN look exciting. The only thing good about that Joe Buck show was when Artie Lang invaded it. That was the great – and I missed it because I had turned it off by then. And you can't even find that on YouTube, by the way. find that very fishy. But – Bomani Jones, to me, is an example of why people don't like forced diversity. Let me make this very clear. I believe in diversity if it's earned diversity. When it's forced diversity, inevitably, this is what you produce. And there's a track record. And then your old colleague at OutKick, Bobby Burak, has done an absolute great job of chronicling of just how bad uh, Bomani is. Bomani, I'm just telling you, I'm going to use this analogy again. If he was a football coach, he would be Rich Kotite consistently going 1-15. The only difference is Kotite never got another job. Kotite, they said, you're out of here. He's Richie Kotite going 1-15, but he still keeps getting more jobs. Again, who has the privilege? Bomani Jones certainly had it and has it. Who knows where he'll land next. I do think... He's a good podcast host, and that's as far as it should go. He, he should talk to an echo chamber, and, and that echo chamber will enjoy it. And they kind of like uh, Bomani and his politics and all of that. Uh, finally, Steve, uh, Stephen A. Smith, on his own podcast, I believe, or somewhere, told someone that he could be next in the ESPN layoffs. Yeah. ESPN's had a bunch of layoffs. Stephen A. Smith said he could be next. Here's the thing, Steve, though. I think it's crystal clear if you follow Stephen A. Smith, he's extremely restless. 
I think he's bored with first take. I think he's bored with sports. I think he wants to be a nighttime talk show host for a major television network. I think he wants out of ESPN. And when I heard, I heard him make that comment about he could be next in the layoffs at ESPN, I was like, this is a guy that's been upset ever since Joe Buck and Troy Aikman got paid more than him. Now Pat McAfee's getting paid more than him. And he is trying to leverage ESPN into overpaying him, perhaps 20, 25 million a year, and, and or he just wants out of ESPN. And it makes me think that I wonder if Fox Sports and just Fox isn't a possibility if that's not connected to the Skip Bayless thing. And if, if you think, agree with me, that Stephen A. Smith is just restless and tired of being at ESPN. He goes on his own little individual podcast and talks about everything but sports. Guy came off vacation to talk about the affirmative action Supreme Court decision. This yeah. guy's done. He, he's frustrated talking about sports. He wants to move on to bigger and better things. Well, by the way, uh, the Ph.D. Dr. Stephen A. Smith said that when white people get the cold, we get pneumonia. So my question is, what do we get, yellow fever? <laughs> anyway, here, here's, I, I'm noticing an interesting pattern with old Stephen A. here. He stays on code on first take for the most part, but when he does his own podcast, he gets off code. He made a comment about the violence in cities like Chicago, and I was like, Ooh, whoa, Stephen A. is going to get, get – he's, he's off code. The community is not going to be happy. But then he goes back and says this about, hey, um, you know, I could be next. He's playing this game of checks and balances to keep, I think, one side very happy and placated with his statements, but then also his own personal beliefs. I think it's fascinating to see how he vacillates between the two. Now, to your theory, is he bored with ESPN? Jason, I think you have a point when you say he's bored with just talking about sports. There comes a time where even him, a guy of his stature that's covered the NBA, he doesn't want to do any more who's better, LeBron or Kobe Bryant debates. He really doesn't. He doesn't even want to talk about, is Tom Brady the GOAT? How good is Bill Belichick without him? We've all done it. And Jason, you probably went through the same thing because most of what you cover now is not sports. You have branched out. You have evolved. Stephen A. in his own mind probably believes if there's going to be another version of Arsenio Hall who's never been replaced, I believe, in that realm, he thinks it could be him. And I'm going to give Stephen A. some credit. I remember about 15, 16, 17 years ago, he did a show, I think it was called Quite Frankly or something with Stephen A. Smith, where it was kind of like a talk show, had a live studio audience. He did a monologue. He had some pretty good guests. He actually did a lot of boxing. Jason, I hope you're sitting down. I thought that show was good. I enjoyed it. And, and he probably thinks, you know what, let me expand my horizons where I could do pop culture, politics, other issues, and delve into a little bit of sports. That's me. I'm the new Arsenio. So I, I think there's a lot of truth to what you say. See, Arsenio Hall, a skilled and talented comedian. Yes. Stephen A. Smith, not a skilled and talented <laughs> comedian. <laughs> Seriously, he's just not. That's not even. That's a real skill. 
He's not comedic. He's not funny. He, okay, he, so he, he, he does some occasional things that'll put a smile on your face. But, I mean, he would be so dependent on writers. Aren't they all? And Jason, aren't they no, all? Some, no. Eddie Murphy. You, you watch these guys getting interviews. Watch a Jamie Foxx getting an interview. And the guy's just funny organically and can do stuff just off the top of his head. Not, not all these guys are dependent on writers. Not, not the best ones, no. Jason, if he believes he can do it and he's gonna, he's willing to say, I'm going to walk the tightrope and be like the Walendas, they take away that safety net, I'm going to do this, I will give him credit. And by the way, if Magic Johnson is allowed to give his hand a try at this. There you go. Why not Steve? There you Smith? go. Magic Johnson, perfect oh, no, example. Not... Yeah, that, that, the, the magic hour. God, dog, that was the, the tragic worst hour. Thing. Yeah. The you, tragic you want a hour. remake I mean... of the tragic hour with Stephen A. Smith. And you know what? I give I give Magic credit. He ruined the career of Craig Shoemaker, a white guy, and really damaged the career of Tommy Davidson, a black guy. See, that's fair. That's equity. That is equity. <laughs> that was it's, a terrible Let me tell you who actually could. I'm gonna tell you who actually could. And this will blow your mind when I say this. Shannon Sharp could do what you're talking about. Ooh, he's, he, and he's he could replace into it. Arsenio Hall. Yeah, huh? I, I look, Arsenio Hall from 1989 to about 92 was, to me, Camelot. It was the other version of Johnny Carson, The Tonight Show. Nobody's been able to replicate it. It was a cultural and national phenomenon. I don't think Arsenio gets enough credit to this day for the greatness of that show. I've always thought the one guy that had the natural all-around skill and personality to pull it off, and I hope he's okay. And it's interesting you brought him up yesterday on Twitter. I think Jamie Hall's uh, Jamie Fox is the only guy that has the all-around skill to do it. But I think he's again he's past all of that. But if Stephen A. Smith thinks he could be a version of Arsenio Hall, I'd like to actually see it. Let's see what happens. Because Stephen A. in his own mind, I believe, has outgrown sports. Steve, uh, you've outgrown today's show. I'm going to let you go. Uh, (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow. That was Steve Kim. I know you guys just got your Steve Kim fix. You've been fiending for him. There he is. Great job as always. If you've been waiting to hear tomorrow and freedom, you don't have to wait any longer. It's plain. We'll see you tomorrow. Back, we are.